From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with uh, Jeremy Schilling for November 16th, 2023. Danny Fleck alongside. Hello, Danny. Hey, man. How's it going? Hey, well, all right. So, Jim Harbaugh says, I'll take the Thea three games. Big Ten stop, stop suspending me and let's get over with this. Uh, okay, I was, I was ready for a Friday quirk date, but I guess not. Uh, I guess maybe he took your advice and the advice of many and just get back to the damn football. Yeah, I mean, this story is crazy, gets crazier and crazier every, every day. On top of that, you know, Harbaugh's had himself a week, uh, with some comments he's made, a lot of them which are, are quite hilarious. Uh, the, the guy filling in on Friday on national TV dropped the F-bomb a couple of times. Yeah. I, I, the story is just, it is evolved into, I think, more of a arm's length type situation, right? Where the, the Big Ten is pushed, is putting their arm out and saying, well, we don't want to screw you guys all the way, but we'll screw you a little bit to make sure that we appeal to all of our other member schools. And then on the other side, you have Michigan pushing back and being like, why are you, why are you even doing this to begin with, right? Like, why are you even opening up potentially this can of worms? Um, and leave us alone, let us do our thing. Like, this has got to be the least of your problems. And we're going to protect our reputation in the media, as is. The punishment that came down is one of the dumbest things I have ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> you know, you're going to suspend him on game days, but the rest of the week, hey, man, have at it. Do your job. <laughs> you know, it's you, can, you can't affect the game if you're not on the sideline. When in reality, I think a coach's job and his interaction with the staff and everything, a lot of that game planning and situational uh you know, preparing yourself for situations and, and breaking down film and having the input. It's coming Sunday to, to Friday night. Saturday morning is more of an execution thing. And, and yeah, I can see how that could affect Michigan a bit by not having an execution. Um, maybe going the way he would want it and, and adjusting maybe like on the fly. But 90% of the work that is being done for this game is being done throughout the week, and he's still having his fingerprints all over that game. So if I were the Big Ten, I would have tried to settle, maybe with a financial penalty, um, maybe suspensions or fines for lower, for more of the pawns perhaps in this scheme, and say, this is what it is. Let's hope that nothing else comes out that could be damaging. And all of the other teams, if there's any sort of situation that you find yourself in where you're concocting plans to get information that might seem like it's over the line, stop. But I think this is a situation where the NCAA and the Big Ten are trying to make an example out of somebody. I don't think Carball is probably liked a lot from a executive level um, standpoint inside the Big Ten or even within college football. I'm sure, I mean, Michigan fans love him. I think he's awesome. Um, but I think this is one of those things where you have the opportunity to stick it to someone and they're trying to stick it to him 
I mean, two suspensions in a year for a head coach, that's unheard of. You don't really ever see that, but it's happening right now in Michigan. Yeah, and they beat Penn State on Saturday. They now have Maryland and then Ohio State with an interim coach who successfully was an interim coach in the beginning of the year. Is this a really weird situation where maybe the fact that he was suspended the first couple of games has given Coach Moore um, some kind of leap, some 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 kind of comfortability here for these three games, especially the game coming up in a couple of weeks? I, I think that's part of it, right? He's comfortable it's, um, sending out his message to the team on game days. I'm sure that's a big part of it. Another thing is that he is the natural play caller for Michigan. So again, a lot of the prepar- the preparation that is occurring is being done by him for, let's like, say, the offensive side of the ball. And now you're having, again, Jim Harbaugh is going to be involved in that, regardless of him not being there on Saturdays. And you still have your defensive play caller on that side as well. So I, I think like the-, the foundation of what we see on the field from the Michigan standpoint is there. You lose Harbaugh, you lose that personality, you lose that maybe that, that instinct, the instinctual instinctual part of calling a game, you maybe lose some of that. But the two individuals that have been guiding these these units on the Michigan side, Michigan football team are still there. So the messaging is, is safe, consistent, I think, with all of the situations that have popped up for them. They've had the ability to develop those relationships with those players and understand what works well and what doesn't work well. Uh, they went into a hostile environment at you know Happy Valley the other day and were able to take care of business. I thought that their adjustment in the second half, you know, was pretty good. I, I mean, I don't know if I would have ran the ball thirty straight times, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, if they're not stopping it, yeah, keep doing it. And they knew that their defense could really strangle that offense as well. So, you know, Ohio State's going to be a different thing. Completely positive is that it's at home. I think Michigan is the better team, regardless of who's coaching that team. Uh, when they do play Ohio State, it would be uh, a great situation for Michigan to go into that game and beat Ohio State, which I think they will. Um, yeah, I, I think it's just a story in general. What we're choosing to go after programs for, I think we're losing sight a little bit about you know how this game is really played. Uh, this is not, again, I think I said at the beginning, not the only team that does it. Do they maybe take it a little bit further than they should have? Yeah, probably. But does it warrant all of this back and forth? Probably not. And, and again, like, think about the money that's going to be wasted with, uh, you know, legal the legal stuff. You know, it's yeah. nice to have that kind of money to throw around, right? But, at the, you know, couldn't they use that money to make the school a better place for the kids. I, I don't know, right? Like, I just think, I look at this and say, we're just throwing away money to throw away money. Yeah, it seems like, seems like time could have been spent better doing other things. Just just my view of it. Then again, maybe they have more evidence about how big the, the whole Connor Stallions thing was. We may never know. But the bottom line yeah. is, that, is that this Michigan team rolls on undefeated. As you look yeah, they, at, should, they should take the legal fees that are going to be used for this back and forth fight to to buy the headsets for teams. Yes, yes. And we don't have to worry about this anymore. Or 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 pay student tuition. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure we go that far, but like 
Yeah, it's just like try to put it toward good, just not just bank the money. Because look at look at Jim. All right, let's. I I I didn't have this on the rundown, but since we're looking at money for a second, right? You got rich people becoming richer. Jimbo Fisher gets seventy six freaking dollars. Sorry, seventy six million dollars, leaving A and M. Shouldn't some of that money have to go back to somebody or be, or, or or be paid towards his next job? Like I don't. This system of basically golden parachutes, just like in the corporate world, is wild in college sports, especially when so many schools are so sh short on cash in athletics. So the Texas A&M situation is a mess for a lot of reasons. One being that they they extended Jimbo for no apparent reason. <laughs> what they did. The, the language in his contract was amazing. Whoever wrote that contract and whoever signed that contract, they must have been on something that day <laughs> because he has the, the $76 million buyout. I even think if he was fired next year, it would be somewhere like in the 60s or 50s. You know, So he's still going to get a chunk of change regardless. There's no offset language in there. So even if he does get another job, Texas A&M, is on the hook for that entire buyout. He's going to get majority of that buyout in the first 120 days after he's been fired. The guy is walking away from being a complete and utter failure than being one of the richest people in the country. <laughs> you know, like he's going to be making $76 million sitting on the couch. And even if he doesn't want to, even if he goes and coaches football, he's still going to be making that money. It's Poor administrative execution by Texas A&M. The AD that signed him to this contract left, so what does he care? He's at LSU now. A lot of this comes down to, to me, you look at Texas A&M, one, is that a job that they really should be thinking that they could be winning national championships at and spending this kind of money on coaches? Two, the type of money that is going around in that booster club it's got to be just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yes. That was and, my first and, thought. Like, where is this coming from? It's coming from oil people, right? And, and I was listening to some other podcasts that were talking about this, even back in October. And they were like, if the oil gets to a certain price, they'll probably think about buying Jimbo out. <laughs> and, they probably, and that's what they did. I think oil hit a certain price. They can offset their losses with the investments that they have. And... They pay seventy six million dollars to get to get someone to go away. You know, I'll take that. You can give me that money. I don't have to. You know, again, like it's just Texas A&M is a weird place in general. I, I don't get a vibe that that's a place that you can win at, even with top recruiting classes. I also think Jimbo was a terrible coach. Um, you know, you could see it on game days. You could see it with his his offensive style. He's antiquated. Um, I don't really think the team's ever really bought into him being there. Uh, his Florida State tenure didn't end well either. So I, I just think, it, you know, when you look at what Texas A&M did when they signed him, they made an initial investment and then doubled down on that investment when they really weren't getting a ton of return on it to begin with. Not good whatsoever. Um, this is kind of the in-between week in college before we get to next week and all the big uh, rivalry games and the big games of that will decide a lot here uh, as we talk to Danny Fleck on Team Up. Is there any college game, though, within that construct that, that, that sparks your interest this week? 
Yeah, I think this is actually a, a big week. Um, yeah, next week we could see some things that obviously paint the picture a little bit better for us as to what's going to be happening from a playoff perspective. But you look at this week, um, you gotta you gotta look at some key games I think that are taking place. You know, the first one that jumps out is, is Louisville, Miami. Louisville's number ten in the country. They're probably ranked that high for a couple of different reasons, uh, you know, based on the playoff committee. But if you're Florida State, you need them to win that game. You need them to win that game so when they go to the ACC championship, they're a top 10, top 15 program. So that if you beat them, that's another ranked opponent on your schedule. Louisville is a, a, a dog going to Miami. A Miami team, which looks like to me as quick, that doesn't have the forces to keep up with the teams that they're playing, but something's off there if they're a point or two favorite at home, right? So something's a little fishy there with that. But if you're if you're Louisville, obviously taking care of business is important to you. But if you're Florida State, you're rooting very hard for Louisville to go to Miami and win so that they can play them in the ACC championship game and have them rank as high as they possibly can be. You know, it's really important for Florida State. If, if the deck shut, you know, comes out a certain way, they need Louisville to be be ranked there just so their resume can, can be boosted a bit. Um, and then you look at Georgia, Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee has a shot in this game, but you just never know in college football, unfortunately. You know, you just it looks like it's gonna be a clean game for Georgia, Georgia to go in there and win, but you're on the road against a, a rival, never know what's gonna happen there. Big game there, Georgia wins, obviously they they, they stamp their undefeated regular season, go to the SEC championship undefeated against Alabama, and again, they're a ranked opponent, so you wanna be able to, to keep building your resume there. The interesting game, this, there's two interesting games, for me at least, when I look at what we could be seeing for the next couple of weeks. The first one is Texas-Iowa State. Texas is a better program, better team, better players. But they've had this, this dance they've been doing the last couple of weeks where they have let teams hang around. You know, I looked at what they've done the last couple of weeks against inferior opponents, you know, and they've... They've, they've kind of squeaked their way through games. Three-point win last week at TCU. Overtime win against Kansas State. That should have been a loss, really, at the end of the day. But they were beating them by double digits, and they let them come back in that game and forced overtime. And Houston, they were up big, let Houston get back in there, stopped them on their last track to win by seven. Iowa State is fundamentally sound. They could present some issues for them. The explosiveness isn't there for Iowa State. But with the track record of Texas this year, and the track record of Texas as a whole, you know, this could be a tricky situation for them. And then you look at Washington and Oregon State. Washington loses this game, I think they're out. Yeah. I, I Even if they win the Pac-12, I think they're out. Uh, because you could be looking at a situation where you have Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, and Oregon fighting for four spots. This would this this for Washington would be another top fifteen win. You have some leeway, I think, if you lose to Oregon, perhaps to be still considered for the playoff. But I do think this is the game for them they need to win. This is the game that's gonna at least put them in a situation where they are undefeated going into the last weekend of the season. And depending on what happens next week, obviously you know, we'll we'll have those discussions, but I think for right now, Washington needs this win. This week, 
big time for them to be able to go into the final weekend with at least a clearer understanding of where they stand. But I do think if they lose, they are out uh, just because these are the types of games if you're a playoff contender that you win. And again, they're on the road. They're underdogs against an Oregon State team that's pretty tough. I don't know if I trust DJ big games, even though they're at home. But you're you're going into a situation here in, in an environment where you need to have your A game. Their defense is a little has been a little suspect the last couple of weeks, so we'll see. But those are the three big games to me when we look at what the playoff might look like in the next couple of weeks. Chris Feller, Kirk Street, Holly Rowe will be on the call for that game Saturday night on ABC. Kirk Did they give Kirk uh, an even worse like travel schedule, <laughs> going from like Baltimore to James Madison, then across the country. Like they do it on purpose, I think. Like that's ridiculous. Uh, look, James Madison, I think was was they wanted to get to an undefeated team, and then this Thursday night thing just makes it even um, harder for them. Because it does, it, it eliminates a lot, you know, some of the, he can't do a lot of 3.30 games, you know, unless it's just close by to where game day is. So it's, it is crazy, but it has been a lot of cross-country traveling for both Chris and Kirk, but especially Kirk. It's been back and forth, back and forth. Um, that includes tonight, Cincinnati, Baltimore. You said it to me privately, will you admit publicly who you are rooting for now in the for, for the rest of the NFL season. Yeah, it's Cincinnati. Um, last week was a tough game for them. I They came out strong, went up 7 nothing real early. They've kind of been doing that, though. They've had like, these strong starts to games and then kind of fizzle out and then ramp it back up. They had the opportunity that Houston game to win it. Uh, big turnover by Stroud allowed them to get the an interception inside the 10-yard line, and they were only to come away come away with the field goal to tie the game rather than go up um, and be up 31-27. They only tied at 27. This is a tough game for them. Baltimore coming off a loss. I think this is that type of game where we maybe see what Cincinnati is made out of. Uh, they've had a good... They had a good transition off the bye with big wins against San Francisco and Buffalo, but tripped up against Houston. Baltimore has kind of been up and down a bit this year. Even though they have a great record, I, I, I've been concerned with how they execute offensively in games consistently. You know, they, they've had these situations where they've gone, gone up against some teams and they either are trading blows with them and hoping that things work out for them, or they jump out and let teams kind of creep back into it. You know, um, the Colts game is a good example of that. The Steelers game, a good example of that. And now we have the Browns game, you know, where they were up big. I thought that game was over. I didn't think the Browns had it in them to come back in that game, and they did. Um, granted, the Browns' defense is really good. They had some opportunistic bounces. Uh, but we've seen Lamar, I think, make some plays in some games that just make you scratch your head. He had a really bad interception in the first half in that game that gave the Browns you know, free points. Um, he's not running the ball as much. 
relying on his arm, and that's always been to me that one issue with him is can he consistently sit back there and throw 30 times a game and be accurate? Yeah, his stats tell you that he is, but he's still making some some bad throws that lead to short fields for the opposition. Um, but these are the moments I think that Burrow is at his best. You know, back against the wall, team needs a win, team needs his best performance. And usually when that happens, he comes out there and plays really well. He'll keep his team in the game. Bengals need some stops from their defense, which has kind of been hit or miss all year. They're out to one of their top pass rushers in Sam Hubbard this week. Chase is, is going to be, I think, limited. No T. Higgins, but you have Joe Burrow, at least. So I do think Cincinnati is going to play this game really tight. I do expect a tight game. I would not be surprised if Cincinnati pulls off this upset uh, tonight because I do think Baltimore has has that in them where they're not always playing at 100%. And we've seen it this year, so we know what it looks like, but I just don't think they can do it week in and week out. Joe Burrow's offensive coordinator at LSU, Joe Brady, becomes the offensive coordinator for the Bills against the Jets. The Jets, Danny, held a player-only meeting on Tuesday. Lovely, lovely stuff in the NFL, except it was offense-only because the defense was in a different room. <laughs> like, <laughs> last I checked, players-only meetings happen with the entire team, not half. My God. I yeah, don't even I mean, know what... To, I'm, I'm not even sure what to say about the Jets, other than... They can try to tread water and wait for Aaron Rodgers to come back and then kumbaya. And the craziest thing about this, and this is what gets me so freaking upset, is you cut a, a team guy like Michael Carter, the offensive one who, the, who you know, the locker room liked, and you're like, all right, we're going to get Bam some time. Okay, it, it may work. It may well work. But... Everything they're doing just seems disjointed, and it all comes back to the fact that in crunch time, Zach Wilson can't make plays, and Robert Sala won't make a switch. It just boggles my mind. Give me Trevor Simeon. Yeah, I, I mean, I've watched enough of the Jets this year to, to understand who they are and what they are. I watched that game on Saturday, on Sunday, and, and the Jets are trying to win with an Aaron Rodgers-based offense. Drop back, make the right read, zing the ball in there, yards after catch. Not going to work with Zach Wilson. No. You need to simplify the process for him to make it so that he is more focused on what it is that will get him the best result rather than him dissecting a team. I don't see any roll-ups, I don't see any bootlegs, I don't see any RPOs, nothing. They are too focused on the drop-back passing, and it's not going to work with Zach Wilson. It's just not. If they were to get him out of the pocket a little bit, some of those quick reads, like where the tight end goes to the flat, you have a crosser over the top and a deep ball, you limit him to half the field, you read that half of the field, and if there's nothing there, you throw it away or you run. They ran some RPOs. They would allow the offensive line to get a little bit more in rhythm. If they ran some some naked bootlegs again, like off that play action, they they have I think 
better opportunities to get chunk plays. Right now, it's step back, hit Garrett Wilson on a slant or on a hook route, and hope that that gets you a first down. It's just not this. It's too Aaron Rodgers centric for my liking. If I were the offensive coordinator, and I mean Nathaniel Hackett's no one to ride home about, you kind of tailor the offense a little bit more to what Zach Wilson's strengths are. It's getting out of the pocket, using his arm, cut down half the field so he has easier reads, and from there, I think you get the run game. Also, another thing, on Sunday I didn't see any like really designed passes to the running backs. I think there was one to Brees Hall that he broke off for about 30 yards. No screams, no swings, no nothing. you got to get a guy like that, the ball, in space, and they're just not doing it. So will they make that adjustment? I don't trust his coaching staff to do so. I don't think you're going to get better results with Simeon back there either. But the first thing I would do is – Try to make the offense a little bit more simplistic for Zach Wilson and incorporate a little bit more of what he's good at. Because he had some good plays when he used his legs on Sunday. And it's not his fault that every time they got a big play that someone held. or The freaking penalties. You know, so they scored a touchdown and they got taken back on a hold. So you are an offense that's not going to score more than 20 points probably. But when you can... You got to take advantage of that, and on top of that, you have to kind of make sure that the offense is not so much read and react, and more like here's what you need to do, and do it. Can you go talk to Zach tomorrow? Listen, I I, I just don't think the Jets have fully understood what his skill set's been since day one. Um, they again, they they went all in with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is not there. His, his presence, I think, is also a negative in this situation because who knows if he's maybe making play suggestions or, and what, you know, who knows, right? But the offense for Aaron Rodgers would never be good for Zach Wilson. I think you've got to incorporate more of what makes Zach Wilson good. <laughs> you know, and that's not, there's not a lot of things that make him good. But he can get out of the pocket. He can throw on the run. He can throw the deep ball. And everything is just dink and dunk and in front of the sticks and to one wide receiver. Like he needs more opportunity to showcase some of the abilities that he does have. Daniel Fleckel is here on Teeing It Up. Uh, quickly, your thoughts on the, on the, uh, um, on the uh, Brady coordinator switch in uh, Buffalo. Yeah, I, I think... For Buffalo, the one thing that's been very apparent here is that they're also too singular with their offense, right? It's either hand the ball off or Josh Will, Josh Allen dropping back, looking for Stephon Diggs or running around like a maniac and trying to make a play. They they have good players on offense. You know, Gabe Davis, Dalton Kincaid, that Shakir guy has been stepping up for them and making some big plays for them. They have that uh, Deontay Hardy who, who can get out in space and make things happen. James Cook is good with the ball in his hand in space. And it's, they don't funnel their offense. I mean, they funnel their offense to two guys, Diggs and Allen. I think spreading it out a bit, opening up the offense 
to other players, keying in on other players and other options will allow for them to open up the field. Saw it a little bit in that Tampa Bay game, um, you know, where Gabe Davis and Shakir were having big games for them. But Brady's first thing needs to be, like, we need to spread the ball around a little bit. We need to be quicker with our decision-making. We can't have you hold on to the ball for 10 seconds and think that, you know, we're going to score a touchdown. It's got to be, you know, where the Jets need to, like, kind of limit the field for Zach Wilson. The Bills need to open up the field, and they need to get more people involved. Because I do think you have the quarterback that can make those plays and make those throws but they also have the players to make that happen. So I think that's the first thing I would do if I was Buffalo. It's kind of like bring more people into the folds, open up the field, get things better matchups. Once you do that, then you can run the ball a little bit better. You know, I, I just think they've kind of had two plays in their, in their offense this year. That's been throw the ball to digs and Josh Allen run around and hope that you make a good line. Um, two games that I want to look into, uh, Arizona, um, and Houston, and then the Super Bowl rematch on Monday. Regarding the Houston game, rookie quarterbacks that are good tend to hit a wall at, at some point. Rookie quarterbacks that were not expected to be great, you never know. Where do you see 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 CJ Stroud and, and this Texans offense as we go along in this season? They're good. They're fun. They're a good team to watch. I, I had a lot. I watched that game uh, on Sunday for the most part. You know, they have some exciting young players with CJ, with Tank Dell, Nico Collins. You know, they're they're well coached. Amigo Ryan's has really made sure that he has instilled a certain way of playing uh, on their side. You know, they're going to be one of those teams. I think for the next couple of years, you're going to start to see you know, creep up in the AFC as we start to maybe see some of the old guard in the AFC transition out. I like the way that they're playing. CJ is really good. I mean, we saw this in, at Ohio State. He's extremely accurate. He knows where to go with the ball. He throws a great ball. He can make every throw. He's a lot more mobile than we see him uh, on Sundays being. You know, we saw that in the Georgia game where he was, you know, able to scramble and, and make big plays with his legs. So he has a lot of great tools. I thought it was a mistake when Bryce Young went number one. I thought CJ was a better prospect. We're starting to see that play out here. He's just really good. Um, and, and, yeah, he might hit a wall. It won't be this week because the Cardinals' defense is not very good. I think this has a, has a chance to be a really fun game in general with Kyler Murray back now. We saw Arizona last week with him. He looked great. You know, the, the offense definitely seemed rejuvenated. He's going to be able to make plays for you. Uh, but C.J. Stroud, he's just been really, really impressive. He's just he, he was like this in college. He's a very, very, very accurate thrower, smart with the ball, and he's able to get people in the right places. And I think throw on top of that that I think some of these players that were here last year for Houston are probably so happy that they have a guy that can throw them the ball and get them open. So they're probably playing with a different type of motivation, too, this year. You know, a lot of changes when you got yeah, you have a guy that can get you the ball. So I, I, I think this Texans team, you know, as long as CJ's on his feet, uh, making the plays that he needs to make, like they could be in contention here to win the AFC South because I don't think Jacksonville is running away with it. Um, and I think that they're in a position right now where the, you know they're playing with house money and they could make some really um, you know 
great progress this year if they're able to get to eight or nine wins. And then the Super Bowl rematch on Monday, Danny Flicker. Yeah, I, I think we talked about this before, too. My concern with Kansas City is, you know, their wide receiving group. I don't know if they fix things over the bye week. We'll find out. You still have the best quarterback in the league in Mahomes, so he's going to be able to cover up a lot of things. But I do think, again, when you run up to teams that maybe aren't afraid of you, like the Lions were, like uh, you know Philadelphia will be on, on Monday, you have to have that guy, that dude, that you know is going to be able to win one-on-one battles and be able to get you the ball, get you a first down you know, on a third down and eight. They just don't have that right now on the outside. And, yes, you have Kelsey – uh, but I think we're starting to see a bit of a shift defensively from teams the way they match up with him. You know, if, it, if it were me on the defensive side of the ball, I, I would commit two players every single play to Kelsey, bracket him inside and outside. He's not beating you over the top, uh, but he's going to beat you laterally if you if you play a man or in a zone because he just finds that hole. I, I basically go like a boxing one with him, like you do in basketball. And then I'd man up everywhere else. Like, force them to beat you on the outside. And yet, yeah, someone will argue and say, like, okay, Mahomes is just going to scramble and get the first down. Can't do that every play, though. So, uh, you know, I think that they need to see who can emerge from them here as, as an option for Mahomes outside of Kelsey. They, they still don't have that. They could now. You know, you have a bye week, you kind of reset. But... I think that they're going to be in trouble eventually when it comes down to that. As for Philadelphia, you hope that the bye week allowed Hurts to get a little bit more stable, a little bit healthier. Yeah, he's been uh, banged up. Fix some things on the defensive side of the ball in the back end. Uh, you know, they've been kind of a sieve back there. Their D line hasn't been as successful this year because they haven't been able really to cover. But if they're able just to get a little bit better on the back end, that defensive line should be able to improve on a lot of their pressure stats, you know, the second half of the season. So I, I like Philadelphia in this game. Um, I just think some of the deficiencies on the Kansas City side of the ball on offense uh, will be able to be exploited by Kansas City. Um, I also think Kansas City is one of those teams that if they can grind you out, they're going to grind you out. I expect them to take that approach in this game. You know, the Super Bowl was very much back and forth, back and forth. Very much different, uh, different type of game in the, you know, in the regular season. But I do think just from a skilled player standpoint, Philadelphia has all the advantages in this game besides a tight end. So I, you know, and some could argue that Hurts and Mahomes on a play to play basis can be about as even as possible. But I think with a guy like AJ Brown and Devontae Smith and DeAndre Swift, like I, I just think there's a lot of, a lot of you know s- speed and skill on the field uh, this time around when Philadelphia is playing Kansas City. It's gonna be a fun weekend of football, Danny. Yeah, if you're not a Jets or Giants fan. <laughs> I think we could beat Buffalo. I think we could beat Buffalo. Don't count I, out. I mean, I, at this point with the Jets. I said it. When I said to myself when I was watching it last week. I was like, "Can we be? We're done, right? We're done saying that this team is going to go to the playoffs." Yeah, you texted me the same thing. I, I still think I, I don't think we're going to the playoffs, but I do think we can win games and surprise people. I definitely think we can surprise people. 
I, I just you got to score twenty points to beat Buffalo. That's the thing. Can we get to, can we and get to for, twenty? And don't forget the last time they played them. You know the the reason they won was a, a kickoff return and four turnovers. Yes, and you have to you have to think that this is going to be a game where they're going to be like. We are not giving them free possessions because this team cannot beat us if we play good football. Yeah, play no. football. Josh Allen was a mess, and they will take Xavier Gibson and, and, and that punting game right out of it. You can see that from a mile away. So I'm with you on that front. I am with you on that front. It'll be a very different football game. Danny Flicka, thank you as always for joining us on Teeing It Up. We appreciate it. No problem, man. Have a good one. You got it.